Hello and welcome back to the Recharge Club. Hello. Um, we've got a more serious episode today. One of my favourites to listen to. I was literally hooked on this guest. Like, yeah, it's very educational. So yeah. like if you're at the gym if on the treadmill, woman, <laughs> if you're a woman, you can relate, definitely. Yeah. We get so we get so passionate in this. Yeah, this slam. would be such a good one to like listen to on the gym. Like, like the walk. gym, yeah, nice walk. Um and if you're into like psychology and like social well not social science more like kind of it's, kind of in a way it's like a, psychology, psychology in there. biology but, women's yeah. health psychology mostly neurology which so many people are they've gone to uni college and studied it's one for everyone it every is. woman out there like you just need to listen and I think you can relate on so many levels and then it's just funny to know that that's then related to yeah. your hormones yeah like yeah and we'll leave all our socials because I'm sure there'll be some questions have we even said who it is Dr Mallory Dr Mallory <laughs> she's honestly incredible yeah. um it was such a nice conversation with her yeah. we'll leave all of her information in the show notes yeah. um and yeah definitely go and give her a follow because she really is amazing and yeah. she knows her stuff yeah she does she was on it I was thinking <laughs> there's some questions in this podcast I was like mm-hmm, do I ask it was that a bit harsh because she probably wouldn't know Oh, like off the off the she top knew. yeah and especially about like stress stress management stress hormones yeah and how the yeah pill. just everything pcos everything like really helped me there so yeah. thank you so much for coming on thank and you. enjoy the episode mm-hmm. love you love you and welcome back to the recharge club today we're joined with dr mallory hello and thank you for joining us Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. <laughs> Did you want to talk a little bit about yourself before we go into like the deep, juicy, juicy talk? <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Dr. Mal uh, and I'm a functional med doctor. And so my world is hormones, but also psychology and neurology. So basically what it comes down to is that I care about teaching women inherent tools um, that influence and discern the stress response that they never knew they had. So that's sort of my world. Cool. Why did women's health interest you? Like, how did you get into it? And what was it that interested you about women's health? Oh, I, that's a great question. Um, so when I was young, I think I, I've been asked that question quite a bit and I've traced it back to the reason that I'm so interested in this world is that when I was young, I would say probably five or six, I woke up one morning and probably maybe 5 a.m. and I was having a seizure. And my little sister was really stressed out. And I looked, all I could see was my mom in the doorway and she was panicking, just the epitome of panic. And so within an hour, we were traveling five hours to the children's hospital and they got us in really urgently. And I remember thinking it's all over now. Like it's, I'm okay. And they kept referring to my middle name at the hospital and it's Danette. And they kept saying that name. And so I asked my mom, why are they not calling me by my name? Why are they calling me Danette? And so my mom, for the first time, told me that um, her little sister, her only sister, passed away when she was 20 years old dancing. And they don't know what happened. All they knew was that she had seizures as a child. And so my mom was creating, was obviously feeling a lot of stress in the result of this. And so there was a, it was almost like a, a thickness, like a palpability of the air it just was heavy 
because everyone was trying to figure out what was going on. And so there was this one doctor and she bent down and she felt like just total sunshine. And she bent down and she looked me in the eyes and she said, we don't know what's happening, but every seizure can come and go and you don't have to respond how the adults are responding. She's like, you can move with it. It will come and it will go and it will pass. And you can, you can feel differently through it. And so I tried that and I did that. And my experience of the next few, I grew out of them, but my experience of the next few was so completely different that I remember thinking I wanted to be her for people. And I wanted to understand why it was so different. So that led me into the world of understanding hormones, of understanding the body, of being interested in psychology and neurology, and then eventually specializing and focusing on the stress response because it did. My experience com felt completely different after that. And I wanted to know why. That must have been really scary growing mm. up, like hearing stuff like that. Like, I think, I think, it, I think age was to my benefit. I was naive enough and young enough to not feel, I think she came in at a critical point where I wasn't old enough to understand the complexity of it, but I was young enough to be, and be impressionable to her advice. Yeah. Have you, have you improved since then? Has your health got better? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They went away. I grew out of them. And, and uh, that was one of the options out of the spectrum of what could happen. So I grew out of them and, and um, totally fine. It was the, it was the idea of what it could be okay. that was worrying everybody. And that fascinated me that we weren't looking at what it was, but what it could be. And then that sort of led me down the path of, of uh, investigating that. Mm. On the psychology and neurology subject, did you study at school or was you like, did you like it before school or did you start studying it at school and you were like, wow, this is something I'd like to get into? Yeah, I studied it. Um, that was my first degree. I studied psychology and neurology. And then I went into um, the functional medicine, naturopathic world, trying to sort of connect the dots, understanding the mind, connecting with the body. And there were, it just didn't complete the loop. And so there was... It's the, the education piece, but mostly the self-discovery, the self-taught afterward, connecting the dots, research, um, that really in my own journey, that really sort of made it make more sense. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in things like this. I also studied psychology. I think it's one of the most interesting subjects mm -hmm. we can do. And my brother is currently doing his master's on neurology at uni, and he's really into this. It must be something in our genes. So we really <laughs> like it. But it's so interesting, especially as I don't, because I've left school, I don't do psychology anymore. So I like to keep up to date with listening to psychology podcasts, reading yeah. programs, and like talking to people like yourselves because I don't know, it's like education. Like it just makes me feel like I'm still being educated and it's just interesting. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned about how you had these seizures, but then how you responded was differently, obviously, the more that you had them. Was that due to managing your stress? It was, yeah, it was the influence of perspective. Mm. Um, it was the understanding that it's temporary and that it will pass. And so that is the, I'd say the foundational components of how I help individuals. I don't like the term managing stress because it feels as though you just have to grin and bear it. Um, yeah. And it's happening to you versus it's happening 
it's an experience that's happening within you. Um, I love the idea of understanding the patterns and understanding biologically how it works, but also psychologically and how we do have the power to influence how our body responds. It's just, it's just repeating pattern cycles over and over again. And we, but we are the ones creating those cycles and we have the influence over it versus feeling like we have to perfect everything and everyone and every circumstance in our lives before we allow ourselves to feel okay, before we allow ourselves to feel relaxed or feel a sense of peace. Okay. So for our listeners, obviously I know stress is quite, it's, it's a very common thing. I think I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who says that they haven't been through a stressful situation, whether that's like school or exams or day-to-day life or just a personal circumstance. How would you suggest that people deal with it? I would say um, you're right. The experience of stress, uh, even the word stress, it's a very vague term because everyone personalizes it. Everyone experiences it. Um, And so it's very it's very vague when you say the term stress, because what does it really mean to someone that is in a crisis? It means something very differently than someone that is um, experiencing PTSD or whatever it may be. And so stress, my favorite definition of stress, and I don't even know where I picked it up and I didn't make it up. Um, It's not mine, but it's applying pressure to our lives. And so the interesting thing about stress is that the physical experience in our body is a hormone, adrenaline and cortisol. And so many cases, stress gets a bad rap because stress and cortisol and these hormones and our experience of stress is incredibly adaptive. It motivates us. It propels us. It's the hormone that wakes us up in the morning and shuts off melatonin overnight, but it becomes detrimental when it's triggered relentlessly and consistently so that on off switch just turned on can cause issues. And so that is what usually people experience and when they start talking about their own stress they're talking about this this set on all the time so much so that their body doesn't know how to turn it off but also feels uncomfortable turning it off and we we develop this sense of uneasiness or apprehension or worry and so all of this sort of on button relentless um mind's always going that's a form of stress but that i want to make a clear definition that the acute crisis stress, that's how our, our body's adapted for that. It's designed for that. This is more the stress of the everyday that can wear us down. And so we develop this sense of, we feel uneasy, we feel apprehensive, we feel worried. We are always trying to figure out what's gonna happen. We're always trying to figure out, are we gonna be okay? And so we rehearse negative outcomes, or we rehearse a fearful future, trying to feel prepared. Um, And really what it is, it's the stress response trying to is that um, you do still have the power over that. So do you think stress outlines a lot from like your sleep hormones, the light, and just like the hormones generally in your body, like the woman's hormones? Yes. So hormones can, all hormones work together. And so melatonin um, and cortisol and some of those stress hormones influence one another. And so that's a layer of it. I will say um, there's a very predictable pattern when someone is experiencing that relentless on, and I think that might be more relatable. Um, And so let's say, let's say an individual, I was chatting with them and they were feeling very stressed, some physical ways that they were feeling very stressed that I would know that there's a hormone imbalance going on is that they wake up exhausted around 10 a.m. they feel pretty good. 
And then around two, two thirty, three o'clock, they just hit a wall. They're, they're just gassed. They're tired again. Dinner time, they're okay. Eight o'clock at night, they could go to bed. They're laying on the couch. They're tired. Nine, nine thirty hits. They're wide awake. They have more energy than they've had all day. Um, when they fall asleep, they get, they sleep very, very deeply for the first couple hours. And then the remainder of the night up until about four thirty, five o'clock, it's tossing and turning. It's very light. They could hear anything. If like the cat sneezes downstairs, they're awake. Then they dive back down into a very deep sleep before the alarm goes off. And once the alarm goes off, they feel like they're hit by a truck. Their mind's always going. Um, they feel behind, they feel overwhelmed. Um, they are always trying to catch up with the day. That is when we know our cortisol levels, our stress hormone levels are fairly imbalanced. That's actually like me and me, when you were saying that and you were explaining it, we literally looked at each other and mind, that's me. <laughs> so, yeah. wow, it's scary. And I, I feel like so many people. And it's not uncommon. Like I know a lot of people say that they get like a crash in the morning and sort of like, like you said, two, three o'clock. Mm-hmm. This is like feeling of fatigue. And I'd recently... Yeah, that was my exact routine. Like the way you explained that, I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy how common it is as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think realistically too, when you look at the last couple of years, um, the stress response is a very primal reaction in the body. It's designed for safety and survival. And all of us have been living through a pandemic and a complete evolution of how we live and move through our lives. And it's, it's based on a sense of safety and survival. So of course, there's a whole other layer to that. Everybody's unique and everyone's experience is different, but there's a whole other global layer to that right now, especially because there's a few interesting things about how the brain is designed, which really influence how our bodies adapt to stress. So think of like the the size of a grain of sand has a hundred thousand neurons within that size of a grain of sand. There's a possibility of a billion connections. And so this part of our brain has about 7 million years of evolution and it's designed to keep us safe and it's designed to make shortcuts. And so the downfalls of that is that there's what's called a negativity bias. So if I gave you a thousand compliments and one criticism, what do you remember? criticism (laughs) always it's always a criticism right so we are designed to hold on to negative information more tightly because adaptively it is supposed to be associated with our survival and safety so we are we hold on to negative information and so when we see the media when we watch the news when we're submerged in social media when we receive the email whatever it may be we're designed to hold on to it and and remember it And another thing is that there's very little distinction in the brain between a lived experience and a thought experience. And so that's the very basis of PTSD. Someone that has had a traumatic experience, they have a trigger later on in life that flood their system with the same hormones as if they have to defend themselves during a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. They've done research on this basketball teams. They've split them up into a control group, um, a practice group, and a, a sort of a thought group, a visualization group. And the control group after a month had they actually regressed in their skills. The practice group that did um, 20 minutes of free throws for 30 days were improved by 23, I think it was 23 to 24%. And then the visualization group that visualized 20 minutes of doing free throws were only a percent, 1% away from improvement. So 23 and 
um, improvement just based on visualization. So the brain is very powerful in how we, how we influence and how we sort of shift our perspective and it, and it can create a physical response in that. And then the last thing, the last downfall, and I, I, I chat about the downfalls because I want people to take it outside of their experience and there's something wrong with me. There's never anything wrong with individuals. There's patterns that they're experiencing and they're living a life that is hard. Um, the brain doesn't really know the difference between the past, the present and the future. And so what I mean by that is that how often has our mind tried to fix problems of the past and dwell on things that we've said or done or whatever it may be. And to the opposite of that effect, how often does our mind feel like it can try and control and predict the future? It, it feels like it has more control in things that it doesn't have. And so we have the power to use that, use how the factory settings are operating and influence them to our benefit. And so that's where, um, when we talk about uh, stress, it's not diminishing the pain of our stressors, which is real and requires honoring. It's starting to recognize the, the role that we play in the suffering and rumination that our minds tend to put us through. Yeah, that's really, really interesting, actually. Um, especially about the psycholo psychological aspect of obviously clinging on to the negativity and then living, mm -hmm. like you said, like almost in your imagination. Mm -hmm. um, I think I've heard of that study before about the basketball. And I was actually wondering when you said that about visualization, do you believe in the law of attraction and things like that then? Do you think that's a powerful sort of tool to help with stress or to help sort of, um, yeah, just bring about more positivity? I do. I think, I think, well, I know for a fact that the mind is such a powerful, powerful entity that, um, and what we focus on is our currency. Our focus is our currency. Our body is responding. How we think, how we see the world, um, it has a direct influence on how we feel and also what, what we manifest or what we do in the world. And so that leads to the foundational component in my, in my opinion of the stress response is our perception. So how we, and our and a perception can be a visualization as well. And so our perception is in my, in my opinion, that stress and also in a lot of the research as well, but in my work, stress equals our circumstance, what we experience plus our perception. And so perception is the meaning that we attach to the circumstance. And so right now, if I said, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, if I said, for instance, that you woke up and you coughed, what would you think? Did you say COVID? No, but that's, that, that could be it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is that our mind takes small bits of information, like a single cough and creates a narrative or creates a story or a meaning of it in a split second. And we react to the meaning. And so we're reacting to our perception. We're reacting to the meaning that we attach to our circumstance. We don't respond to circumstances. We respond to the meaning and the story that we create about the circumstance. And so when you talk about visualization, when you talk about, um, it's kind of like knowing that fact, but having your own back in the process of doing it rather than not allowing the factory settings of the negativity bias to allow it to happen. And so when you're visualizing something, 
you can influence our thoughts, influence how we feel. It influences eventually how we behave. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of power in intentionally choosing a future that feels good versus allowing your brain to be fearful of a future that it's never happened yet. Mm-hmm. So for some of our listeners, obviously there's been like a pressure to constantly be happy and to constantly live a certain way. And obviously you can say, allow it to influence you and to bring about positive thinking. But for some women who feel a bit overwhelmed with sort of like an abundance and mm-hmm. abundance of choice, what would you say to those women who can pick anything to visualize anything, but they don't really know where to start to bring about mm-hmm. that positive change of positive thoughts and a yeah. positive mindset? I think you, I think you positioned that question beautifully because one of the biggest barriers in getting there is feeling that that's all you are, you're supposed to feel. Um, like how many of us, when we were growing up, were told, "Don't stop crying, don't do that, don't do this, feel this way, don't do that, don't sh- don't share this information, or don't act that way, or don't express yourself in that way around these people." And so the way that you frame that is so beautiful because I feel like just as a society, men, women, everybody, children, elderly, whatever it may be, everyone is usually led to feel as though there are acceptable and unacceptable emotions. And so it's, there are ones that are good, such as positivity, happiness, joy, peace. And then there are ones that are bad, such as shame, anger, sadness. And so what happens is that we end up feeling as though we are only supposed to feel and present and express ourselves a certain way and everything else has to be fixed. And so I feel like to your question, that can be a huge barrier to someone that is trying to achieve a sense of peace, yet they're not allowed to feel the whole expression of human emotion. And so they're narrowing themselves out of the gate. Emotion, the word emotion is energy in motion. That's what emotion means. It comes and it goes and it moves through us. And so it's a gift. It's our navigation system. And so to someone that is saying that, I would say it's okay to feel the way you feel. It's okay if you feel scared. It's okay if you feel overwhelmed. It is okay if you feel lonely. It is your right to feel the way you feel. In fact, your emotions are one of the most powerful navigation systems that you have. And so when we resist that, when we resist our experience, that's what creates the suffering. So when we, it's almost like we try and grin and bear or muscle our way through to feeling a sense of joy. It, it's not necessarily the access point. And so when we give ourselves the right to feel and acknowledge and honor who we are and where we are in our emotional experience, as soon as you even give it the allowance, it loses some of its charge. Because it's so temporary, emotions are temporary. Emotions actually without um, a narrative attached to it, without a, a consistent thought pattern attached to it, last in our bloodstream 90 seconds. And so we are allowed to feel it the way we feel and to know that it's temporary. And once you move through that experience, it's experienced in the body as physical symptoms. So emotions don't happen in the head, they happen in the body. So if I said like, I'm, I'm, my, my face is red and my fists are clenched, people would probably be like, okay, well, they're angry. Like even toddlers can recognize facial expressions through emotion. It's sort of part of the human condition. It happens in our physical body. So for us to not only allow ourselves to feel the whole spectrum of human emotion and identify it. So when you identify how you feel, 
um, let's say you're angry and you just feel angry. And then you have a narrative, you have a meaning in your mind why you're angry. And you play that over and over again. It makes you more angry. What's happening is that you're falling into the trap of being a human, how the brain works. It loves stories, it loves meaning, and it loves to spin, especially the mind in that sort of state. It loves to spin. And so it's perpetuating this emotional experience and it feels out of your control. Whereas when you feel angry, allow yourself to feel angry. What's happening? I'm feeling really tight and tense. I'm angry. Even labeling your emotions, and it takes practice, labeling your emotions, what happens is it activates the frontal part of your brain, the frontal lobe, which creates what's called brain coherence. So it connects the deeper part of your brain with the, with the more evolved part of your brain. And it's like a wash. It starts to, it starts to help you feel calmer because the navigation system doesn't have to keep sending out alarms because you get it. Yeah, you're angry. And once you calm down and once you feel as though that passes to a degree, you can use it as information. It's designed as information. So the fact that you felt a certain way, do you need to express yourself? Is there a decision you need to make? Is there an action you need to take? And so for someone that is struggling with creating an idea of a better life for themselves, my first question is, what are you resisting in the life that you have right now? Because that is your biggest barrier. You're not going to grin and bear or muscle through a sense of peace. And understanding that you're allowed to feel the way you feel, you're also, it's your right to feel the way you feel. And in 99.9% of the time, of course, the way you, you feel the way you feel. And allowing yourself to do that releases that suffering I talked about, releases some of that rumination and releases falling into the sort of the factory settings of how the mind works. And once you start that habit and practice, you feel like you have autonomy and power over your situation. And you can, that autonomy can be leveraged to choose the thoughts that feel more aligned with who you are, to express the emotions that feel more in line with the future that you want for yourself. But it all has to happen when you start to accept where you are right now. And you start to have tools to navigate those emotions right now, all of them. You put it on some really good words. Um, on the topic of like women feeling pressured a lot, it's obviously shown on social media. There's a lot of pressure on social media. Are there mm -hmm. any misconceptions about women's health that you see on social media? Disagree with? I would say, um, I yes and no. So I understand a lot of our experience is just a lot of our own personal experience and a lot of work that individuals do in most respects are things that have worked for them. Uh, one thing that I will say is that anything that, and it's not just women's health, anything that makes you feel restrictive, that makes you feel smaller, that makes you try and achieve a goal. And that goal, the intention of the goal is trying to make you feel more worthy or valuable is wrong. Even if the way of doing that feels very right. And so the, what I would say to that kind of question is, it doesn't matter what you're doing, all that matters are what are the intentions behind it. If you are taking a diet because you don't feel good enough in the body that you have and that you inhabit, and I understand, I understand and I get it. And there's a lot of societal pressure and there's a lot of beliefs that women are passed on with 
Um, but if you are taking, if you're doing a diet because of, um, you're trying to suffer your way into a way of being that you feel as though you will be more valuable or you will be more, um, more at peace with yourself if you've achieved that, that intention, that kind of energy that we put behind it is more powerful than the act of the diet itself. You can, you can alter your nutrition because you love yourself and you can alter your nutrition because you hate yourself. And that question is the most important question of all. And so I wouldn't necessarily target what people are doing so much as to why they're doing it. Because people can hide behind a healthy lifestyle and feel miserable within. And it is the wrong intention for them to actually feel a sense of peace. And it's tuning into that conversation that they're having with themselves versus the actions that they're taking. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, and there can be such a fine line between, you know, doing something to better yourself or doing something like you said, because it's more of a societal pressure and this mm -hmm. like feeling of like you need to look this way rather than yeah, like you said, doing it for yourself and accepting your uniqueness and however you are. Um, there's a real pressure at the minute, but then there also is more of an inclusion of different body types. Now, I think diet culture is finally getting sort of brought out. Like, oh, yeah, it's getting, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, apart from that, um, a lot of our listeners were wondering about sort of the pill and the effects of that as well, yeah, most particularly, yeah, sort yeah. of what, what you think about going onto the pill or any sort of contraception. So the coil, um, is it the IUD, yeah. just the anything, yeah. anything hormonal and how that can affect your emotions. The side um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so birth control, I would say it's really important. The interesting thing about um, some forms of birth control, whether it be the pill or um, an IUD device that has hormones in it, it's very important, uh, in my opinion, to know where you are before the pill. And so what I mean by that is if you are going on birth control to try and regulate your cycle. If you have really heavy cycles, if you have um, unpredictable cycles, if you have tremendous pain during your cycle, if you have a lot of uncomfortable symptoms or significant symptoms around your cycle and the pill is what you are being provided to quote unquote regulate that, it doesn't, it masks it. And so I would say be very, very mindful of knowing where your baseline is. And so if you feel as though the reason that you're going on birth control is to regulate or control your hormones to a degree, I would highly, highly suggest you get in touch with someone that has access to doing um, extensive testing to understanding where you are what's happening with your estrogen, what's happening with your progesterone, what's happening with your testosterone, what's happening with your stress hormone levels so that you're not confined and imprisoned by the pill that's masking those yet you still feel the same. Like so many women will take birth control and those symptoms go away, their cycle gets a little bit more control, but they still feel emotionally 
um, vulnerable or they still feel emotionally viable or volatile during that PMS phase. And so what that means is their hormones aren't regulated. The pill is just masking those symptoms and controlling um, their cycle. If um, it is used in a way where you feel as though you're, you are aware of your hormones, they're regular, you feel good, then I would suggest doing some research um, on your own, uh, like not on your own, but doing some research or connecting with your physician to inquire about what birth control is great for you. Now, some individuals love the idea of an IUD. They love the idea of being able, and also what fits your lifestyle. Are you someone that can't remember to take the pill every day? Are you someone that needs um, something that's sort of the intrauterine device to help you regulate things? But also very, very mindful of when you take something, when you begin to take something, please, please keep track of how you feel. Because oftentimes when we start to take something and we forget that we're taking it and become so automatic in our routine and routine for us, like if you take something every morning and it's so routine for you that you don't even remember that you're taking it, it's so automatic in your behavior. Usually when, when symptoms start to pop up, we attribute it to our, uh, we attribute it to our life and our experience. And we never have that connection to birth control. So I would say, first of all, if you're using it to influence hormones and, and try to regulate hormones, please, please, please um, do a little bit more investigation and figure out, do some testing with a practitioner, do some testing with your doctor to figure out what's happening and address that component. If you are using birth control for the actual contraceptive component of it, and you're aware of your hormones and you feel like you are fairly regulated, then be aware and mindful of how you feel over the course of the next three months. You can keep a journal, you can keep track, you can, you can track your cycle, whatever it may be, so that you know how your body is adapting to those hormones. Um, you can also do some research. There's, there's quite a few nutrients that be, can become depleted by birth control. So things like B6, um, some B vitamins that you can make sure that you are taking that uh, magnesium that you can make sure that you are taking so that you are not going deficient in some nutrients unintentionally just because of the fact that you're taking birth control. And if you have any specific questions, of course, but that's my overall just, and um, I see that as the the sort of the energy and the idea that individuals have behind birth control is that it's a form of regulating hormones and it really, really isn't. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I wish, I wish I had someone like you to tell me all of these things. Cause I mean, I've got so many questions to ask you, but yeah. I went onto the pill like four, maybe four or five years. I think it was about five years ago now. And mm -hmm. I think the only advice I was told was it's, it's not 99% or it's not 100% effective. So just be careful. And they also said, just be mindful of blood clots. But apart from that, they didn't say track your symptoms. They didn't say anything else. They didn't say about any other vitamin deficiency. They didn't say about adding anything. They didn't say about tracking or keeping track of a diary. And then when I started to get symptoms, I didn't, like you said, I didn't associate them to birth control at all until yeah. I then came off the pill. Mm -hmm. And... I think it's since then that I realized it probably was more birth control than obviously I'd originally thought. Um, but it's interesting you said to, 
to speak to someone and to get further testing because I think especially in the UK and with a lot of our listeners being from the UK it's Mm -hmm. really really hard to get advice or further testing and to push for it because you're constantly seen as well you don't you don't know or you have to almost question the doctors um Mm. I've recently been diagnosed with PCOS because I came Mm. off the pill and I just haven't had my period since and it's been 13 months now of no period um, I know obviously when you're on the pill, that's a withdrawal bleed. So it's not actually a period anyway. Yeah. Um, but they just wanted to put me on metformin. Um, so the yeah. diabetes medication, I straight yeah. away what they put me on. And then I was like, I'm not sure if I want to be on that. Spoke to another doctor. They did do lots of testings to come up to them, find out that I have PCOS. But mm-hmm. they just they just said to me, oh, just live without the periods. That's not a bad side effect to have. And I was just wondering what, what you think to that mm. PCOS as a, as a general thing because I know a lot of girls have messaged saying they have PCOS and they haven't been told much else and I'm like I can't tell you anything else because number one I'm not a doctor and number two I haven't been given any other advice myself so right um yes so I'm sorry you're going through that it is it is incredibly difficult PCOS is very um it's a very difficult thing to experience because usually you're right any anything really in the hormonal world from a traditional model is usually about the symptoms it's like make the symptoms go away so pcos is um, a hallmark hormonal imbalance it's usually high estrogen low progesterone low progesterone makes you skip your cycle and high testosterone so the classic sign of pcos are individuals that have um, skin changes hair change like hair growth um, weight distribution changes, blood sugar imbalances, and those are all hormonal related. And so I would, I would say that yes, metformin works because it helps your blood sugar, but the blood sugar, the insulin imbalances is the insulin is imbalanced because of the sex hormones throwing it off. All hormones work together. Think of it like think of it like an orchestra. When one instrument's off, it's all you hear. And so all hormones work together. And with PCOS in particular, it's about identifying specifically what hormones those are for you. I would I would venture guess to say high testosterone and low low progesterone is what you're physically experiencing, perhaps mood stuff, but um, a skipping and not a a skipping of your cycle consistently. And perhaps some of those PCOS changes that can be attributed to testosterone, but that deeper dive and oftentimes, and I hate to say it, but oftentimes it does require that self-discovery and self-research to, to really start to piece together the question, the answers but also there are a lot of people out there that are focused on hormones that are focused, even PCOS, they will have courses. I will send you, I just got the idea with, since you said um, UK and there's, it's trickier access to getting some testing and assessments. Um, I have a free online community called the female collective. And I have, I think maybe 62 hours of content on hormones and anxiety and stress and self-esteem. I'll send you the link. And okay, so amazing. in the show notes, you can, cause it's, it's, um, I really believe in the power of women 
empowered with knowledge about who they are so that they can move forward with the autonomy and the influence over themselves and the power of knowledge and the power of how their body works because otherwise we will fall victim to just feeling as though the power is in everyone else's hands, the doctors, the practitioners, the physicians, the surgeons, the, whoever it may be, the people on social media that are sharing information. It just yeah. feels as though we are victim to just consuming information without knowing how to fact check it. I completely agree about everything. It's funny actually, because me and my boyfriend were on a walk yesterday and I was telling him about this and I was saying like often, not this is not, this is completely stereotyping, but I find it's often men who say to go on the pill and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's just funny how they say things. And we were just, <laughs> might be a bit too much information, but I was saying like, we were talking about like how porn is always made for like men and like mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. is just sort of like pushed to the side. It's like, it's all everything hormone related or sex related or anything, you know, like the pill is forced on the women, not the men. Like I understand biologically women are the ones that give birth, but it just seems such a divide like between men and women and like what men want versus like the fantasy versus what is actually reality. And obviously putting people on the pill, you then hear about people like losing their sex drive. And then you hear about that being a justification for men cheating because, you Mm -hmm. know, they, you know, they weren't having their needs met or whatever. And it's like, we're just having this conversation we're just saying it's just crazy how we're almost all brought up in like a man's world and even Mm -hmm. on social media it's still then brought out but it's really nice to then see women like you who have created a platform for free where we can have a look and empower like you said our own knowledge and that's where we'll find power so thank you for sharing that oh I love what you just said and it's (laughs) you're so so right it, there's such a um, stench of the patriarch throughout women's health. Even the term hysterectomy is, is a term that was coined by a male physician because women were hysterical, so they mo- removed their uterus. Oh, my goodness. So uh, you're uh, right. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of women's research is also done on men because women's horm- bodies can't be controlled as easily like with male mat- rats or male, male mice. So you're right. Your intuition is correct. And so I think that you are absolutely right in saying that it's time to take back the narrative. It's time to really start to understand what's happening with women's bodies from a woman's perspective with women's research um, and start using, I think a lot of the, that, that narrative that you're just talking about too, it, it pits women against one another. Mm. That's a form of control. And so yeah, I can talk for all day long about um, that as well. And it's not about, and it's not about um, an anti-male perspective. It's the system. No, yeah, not at all. It's, it's not, not anti-men at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just how the system is designed. And so I think that the point in transformation of uh, a system that is oppressed is through people. Mm. not waiting for the system to change and just imagine how amazing it would be for everyone if everyone was equal if you know sex was equal for everyone it just it'd be liberating for men as much as women I don't understand why they not necessarily feel intimidated but it's still so much like the ball is so much in their court for so many things like you said women's health in particular as well I just don't I just don't understand but Yeah. yeah yeah 
And so, yes, I will share as much information as I can. You can ask as many questions um, as I can. And it's, and there's lots of practitioners and doctors and functional mm -hmm. medicine doctors and medical doctors. And there's a lot of individuals out there um, sharing the same information and trying to share some of the root of what is going on and inform individuals and women about how their bodies operate and, and how you can empower yourself through knowledge um, versus just taking advice that may feel a bit uh, dated. Amazing. Yeah. Is there any way that you like recommend and look into how exercise and food can help uh, not necessarily manage, but like benefit stress and how there's a correlation with one another? Did you say with food? With exercise and food. Okay. Um, yes, that's a great question. I get that question often. And so what I would say is that um, when we're talking specifically about the stress hormone, the interesting thing about stress hormone, like all hormones, and I've mentioned it before, is that they work together. And so there is a high correlation with what we eat, i.e. insulin, that's a hormone, um, our blood sugar hormone, what we eat and how we exercise that influences the stress response. And so what I would say is that if I mentioned that pattern of a woman earlier with energy and her mind's going and the button's always stuck on, what I would say to you that is incredibly important is your insulin is impacted by your stress hormone. And if your insulin is, in, is imbalanced, it's, it's also imbalancing your stress hormone. They're harder to, they're harder to regulate when one is incredibly off. If they're both off, they're in really difficult to regulate. So what I would say is that cortisol is its highest first thing in the morning for the day. And usually people are like, oh shit. Uh, but cortisol is its highest first thing in the morning. And I don't mean stress hormone in the sense of like panic. I mean, I mean, cortisol is in, you're awake, you feel energized, like that sort of in the first hour or so in the morning. If you are someone that is doing intermittent fasting and you are skipping breakfast, please do not because what's happening is if your cortisol levels are imbalanced and you felt like that pattern that you were, that I was explaining earlier, if you have something with protein and fat within 60 minutes of waking up, insulin has the ability to leverage and support cortisol. If we skip both, it's like riding on empty and trying to catch up for the rest of the day. So I would say timing is important. So having regulating your blood sugar is one access point to supporting stress hormone when they're very off. And a lot of people don't feel, a lot of people either go one of two ways. They, they crave carbohydrates and sugar when they're really stressed to try and get more glucose to the brain, or they lose their appetite entirely. Their digestive juices just shut down. They lose their appetite entirely. Both impact stress hormone. Insulin's revving because you're eating a lot of sugar. It can't support stress hormone or insulin's just feels shut off because you're not eating enough. So having, a, having something, doesn't have to be huge, but having something with protein and fat in the morning, scrambled eggs, omelet, smoothie, whatever it may be, doesn't have to be big, just has to be something. Um, and then having regular meals that have protein and fat in them throughout the, throughout the day or snacks to regulate your blood sugar. If you are someone that is feeling really, really stressed because your cortisol isn't helping your insulin and your insulin isn't helping your cortisol. 
So you have to do something about that on um, the physical front. So consuming um, food on a regular basis, it doesn't have to be a lot, it has to be something. One of the reasons is remember, it's um, a primal brain, the stress response is primal. What are one of the biggest stresses that has affected the primal parts of our brain over evolution, food scarcity. When we're skipping meals, it's a trigger to the mind like, oh shit, we don't have enough. I'm just gonna store everything that I consume because I'm, I'm not getting enough. So regular intervals, especially within first 60 seconds, what you're doing is you're coming off your heels the first six, uh, 60 minutes, sorry. You're coming off your heels and you're, you're starting the tone of the day right. In terms of exercise, I'm talking in the context of the woman that's feeling um, stressed, that energy pattern, feeling overwhelmed, possibly anxious, uh, mind is constantly going, that kind of pattern. In terms of exercise, nourishing exercise is incredibly important. Movement is incredibly important. So yoga, Pilates, walks, swimming, um, games like tennis, that sort of thing, really, really helpful. Cardiovascular, beyond 25 minutes, not so helpful. So if you are a long distance runner, if you go for long runs, if you're a cyclist that does 60 minute classes, um, that is burning the rest of the fuel in the tank and you don't have, uh, you don't have it right now. And another thing from an evolutionary perspective is that one of the biggest triggers for the stress response is running, fight or flight. And so if you're gassing yourself every day, trying to achieve a certain goal, uh, because when we are stressed, we tend to hold on to weight. If you're, if you're exhausting yourself every day, trying to achieve a certain goal, your body, your access point to where you want to go is actually resting and rejuvenating and taking time and movement and, and intentional movement without too much exertion and exhaustion because at the time, and I'm speaking with, to a particular person, at the time, you just don't have it. And it's exacerbating a pattern. Um, and patterns like to stay where they are usually. On the diet topic, um, I've got a question for you. You may not be able to answer, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. when, whenever I'm on my period, I just really struggle to eat. Like I'm yeah. not hungry. Is that something, is that anything that you know? Is that to do with stress? Is that to do with my pill? Like, Yeah, hormones usually, our appetites shift during, and our metabolism shifts yeah. during um, our cycle. And so when we are on our cycle, the hormones that are activated can, they can increase our appetite um, a little bit. But usually our appetite is fairly stabilized, especially if you're someone that experiences pain, that sort of prostaglandin, that sort of um, neurochemical helps to sort of avoidance of food. Yeah. But um, when we're on our cycle, our appetite is fairly um, even keel, same as the week after our cycle. That's the week after our cycle is when we can have some more exercise, we can have some more food. Um, our, our metabolism is fairly revved for those two weeks, especially the second week of our cycle. And then the last two weeks, the two weeks before our cycle starts again, is when progesterone comes into the picture. And that's when we start to crave more sugar, crave more carbs, get a little bit more lethargic, get a little bit more anxious. And so 
having those types of foods, regulating your blood sugar, having regular meals, having carbohydrates, maybe not in the form of junk food and sugar, but who am I to say you can't have anything, but whatever works for like what you intuitively feel is best for you having a little bit more of complex carbohydrates in your diet because your body needs it. And then right your, and your metabolism slows a little bit and then, um, shifting it. When you start your cycle, you don't have as much appetite. You feel a little bit more energized after the couple of days of, of blood release and, and you start to get that hormone back up. Um, for those two weeks, you're also in like peak creativity, peak expression, um, where it's kind of like turning the on, like everything's on, your hormones are up, your sex drive is higher, your metabolism is a little bit higher, your appetite is regulated more. Whereas the last two weeks, it's more things start to come down. Um, it's more about like nourishing and calming and rejuvenation and um, listening to what you need and making making choices where you feel like you're not gonna get caught trying to compensate for the pattern. So if you eat a bunch of junk food, that just starts a pattern where your body's just craving more sugar. So you have a little bit more heartier meals and it's listening to the, the rhythm of your body um, and what cycle it's, what phase you are at in your cycle. I have a whole lesson when, if you wanna join that, that group, it's totally free and, and uh, I love it. But there's a whole lesson on movement and nutrition throughout your cycle in there. It's so crazy because you literally pinpoint all the stages of yeah. my cycle. Like I relate to it so much. And I, I try and explain this to my boyfriend. I try and say like how my diet changes throughout the month, but I mean, yeah. I don't understand. No, it, do they? No, I don't think so. Yeah. But Move through it. Hormones are superpowers. Like women are born with an inherent superpower that so many of us don't even know of. And so many of us aren't using, yeah. um, or intentionally aware of. So it is a superpower. If you have a very important, I don't know, if you have a very important presentation or you're doing something talking or whatever, schedule it in those first two weeks. Mm. Like don't schedule moving your entire house the day before your period starts. Yeah. <laughs> it's made it's me just, really want to become so much more in tune. Like straight away after this, I'm just going to research. Like I want to know about PCOS more. Like I feel like you've it's like a holistic but empowering way of thinking about it rather than like my doctor was just like oh it's quite a good side effect to not have a period yeah, I was just like yeah. oh right well, funny enough when you started mentioning the vitamin b deficiencies I was I was looking them up and I know you shouldn't self-diagnose but I was like yeah. oh my gosh I have like all of these symptoms and some of these like the heart palpitations and stuff and the vertigo I've had this for a few months and I, I went to the doctors because I thought it was through my periods, but they, I mean, they couldn't really help me. And I'm just thinking maybe it is my pill. Yeah, it very well could be. So magnesium yeah. is a common one, B vitamins, especially B6, yeah. um, which is a hormone regulator and zinc and some antioxidants are depleted by the pill. Right. Yeah. Well, reading through this now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I need to get some vitamin B supplements <laughs> because... <laughs> There's so many of these that I get. So, yeah, and I wouldn't have even thought to message, uh, message, sorry, Google about vitamin B12 deficiency or vitamin B deficiency before I spoke to you. So, well, thank you for that. Um, oh, of course. 
Neve, is there anything else you wanted to ask? Or did you want to get onto the poll? Um, no, I feel like I could ask a thousand questions, but we'd be here for absolute yeah. hours. <laughs> maybe I'll just message you privately afterwards yeah. <laughs> and like ask about help all on my PCOS because honestly, I've never I've never been offered like any help. Yeah, before, even when, so... So when Neve got diagnosed, I I was asking you about it. I was like. <laughs> what are you gonna do what even is it and you were like to me i don't, I don't know. know they were told just yeah, to get over know. it just yeah. live with it until that's literally how you said it to yeah. me as well yeah, yeah. So, which yeah. is such a disempowering stance it just feels like you're a victim of your own body yeah um mm. and it's not how it works it's not how it should work yeah no. yeah and the thing is pcos is so common so how yeah. it isn't talked about and educated more about like no exactly and I've had people ask and I've I've not been given any advice so that's one thing I will end on before we do go on to the polls but you said about how how it's like an imbalance of testosterone and did you say progesterone is what's lower and testosterone yeah. is higher yes so usually there, that's yeah is there anything I can do to improve that or is it just something there are lots of things that can be done it usually starts with just like what you were talking about managing your insulin managing your blood sugar and then helping support the detoxification of some testosterone and the the raising of progesterone naturally and sometimes that requires a little bit more intervention with um, a practitioner or a functional med doc or an md that does some um, bioidentical hormones to increase progesterone but uh, it's, it is a t complete hormonal pattern that does have the capacity to be adjusted. I can't say anything specific generally, because I don't want to sort of cause harm with someone that may not, it may not be the right thing, yeah. but regulating your blood sugar, um, and getting proper assessment of your hormones is incredibly important because hormones fluctuate. It's their nature. So they can be adjusted They're They, um, have the capacity to move and shift. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Honestly, I feel like we, we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but yeah. we will end on, we always end on a couple of polls and then a mantra or a quote of the week to leave our guests, guests leaving positive. Um, but our first poll is, mm -hmm. do you get more stressed in the morning or the evening? I would say usually individuals um, get more stressed in the evening when things start to quiet down, particularly when they're lying in bed, when everything becomes quiet and their mm -hmm. body is trying to turn off, but it doesn't have the ability. That's when um, elevated cortisol screams. It feels like the quiet feels like a scream. That's mm -hmm. when stress hormone can tend to be a little bit higher when we're not distracted. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And 67% of everyone that entered the polls agreed and said that they feel far more stressed in the evening mm, mm -hmm. next one is has going on the pill affected your mood or emotions yes or no going on the pill does have the capacity to affect your mood or emotions significantly yes 33% mm. said yes but mm -hmm. Wow. 67% said That's it hasn't affected their emotions. You see, the amount that I personally see on my social media is that people are so against the pill because of the way it changed into that yeah. result. It's really mm -hmm. And yeah. our oh. friends as well, yeah. we've spoken to, they've all been affected. So, yeah, that's crazy. And the next one is do you cope well with your stress? 
Yes or no? Is this personally or generally? Um, personally and generally, if I'm honest. I would say personally, I um, have the privilege of knowing these tools and it's, it's not something that you sort of get. It's a practice. I use them all the time and um, we didn't talk about uh, a ton of tools, but I use a lot of strategies all the time to understand and reframe and become aware of the stress patterns. Um, but in general, most people cope through um, fixing their environment and their circumstance without becoming aware of the own power that they have to influence the pattern. So I would say most people don't feel as though they cope well because that strategy is exhausting. Mm. Yeah. So the poll result came up almost 50-50. It was 57% said yes, they cope with their stress and 43% said no. So it's still quite mm -hmm. a high amount of women said that they can manage their stress. Great. Which is, yeah, really great to hear. Um, yeah, amazing. Should we end on our... We always yes. end on our... We have a shout out of the week, which of course is going to you. All, all to you. All <laughs> <questions> on you. <laughs> so we'll leave the show notes. We'll pop it on the guide on Instagram and we've got a whole post that will pop everything on there so they can all find you follow you ask you some questions ask you their own questions and yeah. the female collective i'll pop on there as well and we'll just end on our quote of the week alia have you got yours right i've got a few to pick from there <laughs> a few short ones i can never just pick one i'm really greedy <laughs> um but i will pick one i will do a short one and it is i am a woman what's your superpower oh i love that one that's quite fitting for this episode yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then i'll just end on you are only as pretty as you treat other people mm. did you have one yourself or we put you on the spot it's <laughs> no, that's okay i love i love quotes um one of my favorites are your thoughts are not your truths yeah, love that love it yep well thank you so much for coming on i have really like i've really, really enjoyed it. listening to you like my mouth's kind of been gasped the whole time because just, it just makes sense doesn't it yeah. some of the things that you've been saying it's, it's just like you were a mind reader to everything going on in my body and my cycle yeah and when you're yeah. told so many times that you shouldn't be this way and then you're yeah. like actually no this is your hormones this is a natural reaction yeah. and your emotions and stress and how it's all interlinked it's really amazing yeah. to hear so thank you so much I wouldn't be surprised if your dms got flooded with messages <laughs> yeah. from girls because there's so many things I could ask you oh thank you so much it was such a pleasure meeting you both and I hope we connect again this was fun I had a great time yes 100%. definitely thank you so much thank My you bye, bye. bye.